Welcome to another in-depth exploration of biblical missionaries, written by Borge Schantz, edited for audio and produced by the Ambassador Group. Exploration 10. Philip as Missionary. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, New International Version. World mission was the main concern of the risen Christ during the 40 days between his crucifixion and ascension. Let's listen to five of Jesus' great commission statements from the Amplified Bible. Matthew chapter 28, Verses 18 to 20. Jesus approached and breaking the silence said to them, All authority, all power of rule in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go then and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you, And behold, I am with you all the days, perpetually, uniformly, and on every occasion, to the very close and consummation of the age. Amen. So let it be. Mark chapter 16 and verse 15. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach and publish openly the good news, the gospel to every creature, of the whole human race. Luke chapter 24, verses 47 to 49. And that repentance with a view to and as the condition of forgiveness of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I will send forth upon you what my Father has promised. But remain in the city, Jerusalem, until you are clothed with power from on high. John chapter 20, verse 21. Then Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. Just as the Father has sent me forth, so I am sending you. And Acts chapter 1, verses 5 to 8. For John baptized with water, but not many days from now you shall be baptized with placed in, introduced into the Holy Spirit. So when they were assembled, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will reestablish the kingdom and restore it to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to become acquainted with and know what time brings the things and events of time and their definite periods or fixed years and seasons, their critical niche in time which the Father has appointed, fixed, and reserved by his own choice and authority and personal power. But you shall receive power, ability, efficiency, and might when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends the very bounds of the earth. Together, These scripture verses constitute the greatest assignment ever given to Christians. Among the commands was a geographical strategy for mission outreach, from its Jerusalem base 
to all Judea and Samaria, then ultimately to the ends of the earth. This was a command that they really took seriously and set out to fulfill. This geographical strategy is prominent in the mission work of Philip the Evangelist. According to Acts 8, his work extended outward from Jerusalem in expanding circles. In other words, it kept spreading farther and farther as time progressed. Who was this Philip the Evangelist? What does the Word of God tell us about him and the work that he did during the earliest days of the church? Finally, and most importantly, how will the inspired record of this early missionary inspire you to share Jesus? Keep listening. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18, New King James Version. Think about what Paul is saying here, especially as we explore the missionary effort of Philip the Evangelist, somewhat of whom we know little except for the few references in the Bible. As we will discover, though, Philip did a good work, even though most of what he accomplished we know little about. Who are some people whom you know, of who have done great things for God, but with little outward recognition? Why is it always important to keep the principle of Paul's words in mind, especially if we do a work that doesn't garner much acclaim or attention? 1 Corinthians 4.13 says, When we are slandered and defamed, we try to answer softly and bring comfort. We have been made and are now the rubbish and filth of the world, the off-scouring of all things, the scum of the earth. Philip was a popular Greek name that means horse lover. In the New Testament, there are four persons called by that name. Two had the additional name Herod and were part of the Herodian ruling family, which exerted a generally harsh rule over Israel in New Testament times. The remaining Philips had outstanding roles in mission. The first, Philip of Bethsaida, was a disciple who was instrumental in bringing Nathanael to Jesus. John chapter 1 verses 43 to 46 tells us, what Philip did as a result of meeting Jesus. The next day, Jesus desired and decided to go into Galilee. And he found Philip and said to him, Join me as my attendant and follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, of the same city as Andrew and Peter. Philip sought and found Nathanael and told him, We have found or discovered the one Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote about, 
Jesus from Nazareth, the legal son of Joseph. Nathanael answered him, Nazareth, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip replied, come and see. Later he brought Greeks to Jesus, John chapter 12, verses 20 and 21. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. These came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and they made this request, Sir, we desire to see Jesus. The second Philip was designated the evangelist in Acts chapter 21 and verse 8 to distinguish him from Philip the disciple. On the morrow, we left there and came to Caesarea, and we went into the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven first deacons, and stayed with him. This Philip first appeared in the Jerusalem church as a table waiter in Acts chapter 6, verses 2 to 5. So the twelve apostles convened the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not seemly or desirable or right that we should have to give up or neglect preaching the word of God in order to attend to serving at tables and superintending the distribution of food. Therefore select out from among yourselves, brethren, seven men of good and attested character and repute, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may assign to look after this business and duty. But we will continue to devote ourselves steadfastly to prayer and the ministry of the word. And the suggestion pleased the whole assembly, and they selected Stephen, a man full of faith, a strong and welcome belief that Jesus is the Messiah, and full of and controlled by the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte convert from Antioch. Acts 8 verse 12 describes Philip as becoming an evangelist and a missionary with these words. But when they believed the good news, the gospel about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, as Philip preached it, they were baptized, both men and women. His missionary service extending over 20 years and supplemented by four prophesying daughters is mentioned in the book of Acts. We know little else of his background. Ellen G. White wrote these poignant words in her book entitled Sketches from the Life of Paul, page 204. It was Philip who preached the gospel to the Samaritans. It was Philip who had the courage to baptize the Ethiopian eunuch. For a time, the history of these two workers, Philip and Paul, had been closely intertwined. It was the violent persecution of Saul the Pharisee that had scattered the church at Jerusalem and destroyed the effectiveness of the organization of the seven deacons. The flight from Jerusalem had led Philip to change his manner of labor and resulted in his pursuing the same calling to which Paul gave his life. Precious hours were these that Paul and Philip spent in each other's society. Thrilling were the memories that they recalled of the days when the light which had shone upon the face of Stephen 
upturned to heaven as he suffered martyrdom, flashed in its glory upon Saul the persecutor, bringing him, a helpless suppliant, to the feet of Jesus. Waiting on Tables What kind of picture of the early church is presented in these two sets of verses? Acts, chapter 2, verses 44 to 47. And all who believed, who adhered to and trusted in and relied on Jesus Christ, were united, and together they had everything in common. And they sold their possessions, both their landed property and their movable goods, and distributed the price among all, according as any had need. And day after day they regularly assembled in the temple with united purpose, and in their homes they broke bread, including the Lord's Supper. They partook of their food with gladness and simplicity and generous hearts, constantly praising God and being in favor and goodwill with all the people, and the Lord kept adding to their number daily those who were being saved from spiritual death. And Acts chapter 4, verses 34 to 37. Nor was there a destitute or needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses proceeded to sell them, and one by one, they brought or gave back the amount received from the sales and laid it at the feet of the apostles, who were special messengers. Then distribution was made according as anyone had need. Now Joseph, a Levite and native of Cyprus, who was surnamed Barnabas by the apostles, which interpreted means son of encouragement, sold a field which belonged to him and brought the sum of money and laid it at the feet of the apostles. What kind of picture of the early church is presented in these verses? No question, things were for a time going quite well among the early believers. Of course, everyone has fallen, and before long, some tensions started to rise. Acts 6, verses 1 to 7, tell us what was happening. Now about this time, when the number of the disciples was greatly increasing, complaint was made by the Hellenists, the Greek-speaking Jews, against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked and neglected in the daily ministration or distribution of relief. So the twelve apostles convened the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not seemly or desirable or right that we should have to give up or neglect preaching the word of God in order to attend to serving at tables and superintending the distribution of food. Therefore, select out from among yourselves, brethren, seven men of good and attested character and repute, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may assign to look after this business and duty but we will continue to devote ourselves steadfastly to prayer and the ministry of the word. And the suggestion pleased the whole assembly, and they selected Stephen, a man full of faith, a strong and welcome belief that Jesus is the Messiah. 
and full of and controlled by the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte convert from Antioch. These they presented to the apostles, who after prayer laid their hands on them, and the message of God kept on spreading. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and besides a large number of the priests were obedient to the faith in Jesus as the Messiah, through whom is obtained eternal salvation in the kingdom of God. What problems arose, and how did the church deal with those problems? Rapid growth of the Jerusalem church brought with it social tension. Philip was appointed to a team to deal with it. Converts included underprivileged and economically challenged persons whose participation in the daily common meals placed increasing demands on church leaders. A murmuring about unfair distribution of food to Greek-speaking widows emerged. This was especially sensitive because of reminders by the Hebrew prophets not to neglect widows and orphans. To resolve the serious issue, all twelve apostles gathered the believers and proposed the appointment of seven men, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, who would literally deaconize tables, so the twelve could deaconize the word. Acts chapter 6 verses 3 and 4 reveals the recommendation. Therefore, select out from among yourselves, brethren, seven men of good and attested character and repute, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may assign to look after this business and duty. But we will continue to devote ourselves and steadfastly to prayer and the ministry of the word. All seven had Greek names perhaps indicating a balancing of welfare service for the neglected Greek-speaking widows. Among them was Philip, the first time that this Philip is mentioned in the Bible. The apostles argued that additional leadership was needed so that they should not be overworked by the administration of the resources necessary for communal life. They emphasized that their call was to devote themselves to the Word of God and to prayer. What are some of the potentially divisive issues in your church? How can you allow God to use you to help ease them? Saul, a future apostle and missionary, makes his first appearance in the Bible at the stoning of the deacon Stephen, the first Christian martyr. This wave of persecution only helped further the spread of the gospel. Acts chapter 8 verses 1 to 6 describes the result of the persecution of the church in Jerusalem. And Saul was not only consenting to Stephen's death, 
he was pleased and entirely approving. On that day, a great and severe persecution broke out against the church, which was in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles or special messengers. A party of devout men with others helped to carry out and bury Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul shamefully treated and laid waste the church continuously with cruelty and violence, and entering house after house, he dragged out men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered abroad went about through the land from place to place, preaching the glad tidings, the word, the doctrine concerning the attainment through Christ of salvation in the kingdom of God. Philip, the deacon, not the apostle, went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed the Christ, the Messiah, to them, or to the people. And great crowds of people with one accord listened to and heeded what was said by Philip as they heard him and watched the miracles and wonders which he kept performing from time to time. Samaria was the first stop on the geographical spread of Christianity. Samaritans considered themselves descendants of Israelites left behind when Assyria exiled most of the Israelites in 722 B.C. The Jews, however, considered Samaritans to be descendants of foreigners, the Assyrians, forcibly settled in Israel. Jewish-Samaritan relationships during the New Testament era were marked by tensions and outbreaks of violence. However, Jesus had already paved the way for mission work there when he dealt with the woman at the well, who in turn began to evangelize her own people. Philip's call to wait on tables now became that of a missionary evangelist to the Samaritans. As a refugee fleeing religious persecution in Jerusalem, he did not waste his time. He proclaimed that the Messiah, awaited by both Jews and Samaritans, had come. Acts 8 verses 5 and 12 tell us more about Philip. Philip, the deacon, not the apostle, went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed the Christ, the Messiah, to them, or to the people. But when they believed the good news, the gospel about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, as Philip preached it, they were baptized, both men and women. How successful was Philip's ministry in Samaria? Acts 8 Verses 6 to 15 give the answer. And great crowds of people with one accord listened to and heeded what was said by Philip, as they heard him and watched the miracles and wonders which he kept performing from time to time. For foul spirits came out of many who were possessed by them, screaming and shouting with a loud voice, and many who were suffering from palsy or were crippled were restored to health. And there was great rejoicing in that city. But there was a man named Simon, who had formerly practiced magic arts in the city to the utter amazement of the Samaritan nation, 
claiming that he himself was an extraordinary and distinguished person. They all paid earnest attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is that exhibition of the power of God, which is called great or intense. And they were attentive and made much of him, because for a long time he had amazed and bewildered and dazzled them with his skill in magic arts. But when they believed the good news, the gospel about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, as Philip preached it, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. He adhered to, he trusted in, and relied on the teaching of Philip. And after being baptized, devoted himself constantly to him. And seeing signs and miracles of great power which were being performed, he was utterly amazed. Now when the apostles or special messengers at Jerusalem heard that the country of Samaria had accepted and welcomed the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. And they came down and prayed for them that the Samaritans might receive the Holy Spirit. Philip was used mightily of the Lord in this early foreign mission field. The statement of the woman at the well that Jews have no dealings with Samaritans in John 4, 9, New King James Version had now become a thing of the past. What animosities, grudges, and prejudices that have poisoned your soul need to become things of the past? Isn't it time to let it all go? According to Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 39, which we will hear in a few moments, Philip's next contact was with the Ethiopian treasury administrator, bringing mission another step toward the end of the earth. In Acts 1.8, New King James Version, Philip was the link between Samaria and the Gaza mission. From Samaria, north of Jerusalem, Philip was called to Gaza, which is south of the city. His work in the north focused on a group. Here, it focused on a single person. In Samaria, Philip could proclaim Christ only from the five books of Moses, for this was all the Samaritans accepted. Here, he could also use the book of Isaiah, probably in Greek translation. Now we will hear Acts 8:26-39. As you listen, answer these two questions. What were the texts in Isaiah 53 that the Ethiopian was reading? And why would they have given Philip the perfect opportunity to evangelize him? Acts 8 verses 26 to 39 reveal, but an angel of the Lord said to Philip, "Rise and proceed southward." or at midday on the road that runs from Jerusalem 
down to Gaza. This is the desert route. So he got up and went. And behold, an Ethiopian, a eunuch of great authority, under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was now returning, and sitting in his chariot, he was reading the book of the prophet Isaiah. Then the Holy Spirit said to Philip, Go forward and join yourself to this chariot. Accordingly, Philip, running up to him, heard the man reading the prophet Isaiah and asked, Do you really understand what you are reading? And he said, How is it possible for me to do so unless someone explains it to me and guides me in the right way? And he earnestly requested Philip to come up and sit beside him. Now this was the passage of scripture which he was reading. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is dumb, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation he was taken away by distressing and oppressive judgment, and justice was denied him, caused to cease. Who can describe or relate in full the wickedness of his contemporaries or generation? For his life is taken from the earth, and a bloody death inflicted upon him. And the eunuch said to Philip, I beg of you, tell me about whom does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this portion of Scripture, he announced to him the glad tidings, gospel of Jesus, and about him. And as they continued along on the way, they came to some water, and the eunuch exclaimed, See, here is water. What is to hinder my being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, if you have a conviction full of joyful trust that Jesus is the Messiah and accept him as the author of your salvation in the kingdom of God, giving him your obedience, then you may. And he replied, I do believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered that the chariot be stopped, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly caught away Philip, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. In Samaria, Acts chapter 8 and verse 6 says that Philip's work in Samaria included miracles, and great crowds of people with one accord listened to and heeded what was said by Philip as they heard him and watched the miracles and wonders which he kept performing from time to time. In contrast, in these verses, all he did with the Ethiopian was study the Bible. What do you learn from this story for yourself as you minister to others? The Spirit of the Lord called Philip away as soon as he had finished explaining the good news about Jesus and had baptized the Ethiopian. Philip had no opportunity to transmit his beliefs and teachings to his new convert. The Ethiopian was left to embrace the Christian faith in the context of his African culture, guided by the Old Testament and the Spirit of God, which had already been working in him, for he already was a worshiper of the Lord 
and a believer in his word. Philip explained to the Ethiopian crucial Old Testament texts about the death of Jesus. Why must Jesus, his death and resurrection, be central to the message we give to the world? What is our message without Jesus? Philip as evangelist, father, and host. Philip clearly was anointed to do the Lord's work. Commentators are divided on what the phrase, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, means in Acts 8.39. Was Philip simply told to go to Azotus, verse 40, or was miraculously transported there? Either way, the crucial point is that Philip was a man surrendered to the Holy Spirit, and so God was able to use him to do a great work for him. Acts 8.40 tells us something about Philip that helps us to understand why he was named the Evangelist. What is it? But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing on he preached the good news, gospel, to all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Wherever he went, he preached the good news about Jesus. Listen to Acts 21, 7-10. What do you discover about Philip from these few verses? When we had completed the voyage from Tyre, we landed at Ptolemaeus, where we paid our respects to the brethren and remained with them for one day. On the morrow, we left there and came to Caesarea, and we went into the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven first deacons, and stayed with him. And he had four maiden daughters who had the gift of prophecy. While we were remaining there for some time, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. At this stage of the story, we learn that Philip was a family man with four unmarried daughters. Philip's call out of the deaconate into evangelism involved him in extensive travel. We know about the journey from Jerusalem to Samaria, then on to Gaza, followed by all the towns on the 50-mile or 80-kilometer coastline between Azotus and Caesarea. There were probably unrecorded journeys. Like all the pioneering missionaries, he would have been harassed, inconvenienced, and subjected to the ups and downs such commitments entail. Still, he managed his family to the extent that four daughters were deemed by the Holy Spirit suitable to receive the gift of prophecy. This testifies to good parenting and a true godliness in this pioneering Christian missionary family. In our work for others, it is so important never to forget our first obligation our families. The text reveals that the Apostle Paul stayed with Philip a number of days, verse 10, New International Version. This is remarkable. Why so remarkable? Well, if you consider Acts 9, verses 1 and 2, gives us our first before experience with Saul, who later became Paul, 
Listen. Meanwhile, Saul, still drawing his breath hard from threatening and murderous desire against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and requested of him letters to the synagogues at Damascus, authorizing him so that if he found any men or women belonging to the way of life as determined by faith in Jesus Christ, he might bring them bound with chains to Jerusalem. Acts 8, 1-5 in the New Living Translation provides the second before vignette of Saul's encounter with Philip and others who followed Jesus. A great wave of persecution began that day sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers, except the apostles, were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. Twenty-five years earlier, Paul, then named Saul, had been an aggressive and fierce persecutor of the Christians. His persecution of Jerusalem believers forced Philip to flee to Samaria. Now, years later, persecutor and persecuted meet in the home of Philip, who hosts Paul's visit. What an interesting meeting of brothers and fellow workers with Christ in the great cause of bringing the gospel to the non-Jewish world. Let's continue exploring. After the death of Stephen, there arose against the believers in Jerusalem a persecution so relentless that they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Saul made havoc of the church, entering into every house, and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Of his zeal in this cruel work, he said at a later date, I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which thing I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints did I shut up in prison, and I punished them oft in every synagogue, and compelled them to blaspheme, and being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. That Stephen was not the only one who suffered death may be seen from Saul's own words. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. Acts 26, 9-11 At this time of peril, Nicodemus came forward in fearless avowal of his faith in the crucified Savior. 
Nicodemus was a member of the Sanhedrin and with others had been stirred by the teaching of Jesus. As he had witnessed Christ's wonderful works, the conviction had fastened itself upon his mind that this was the scent of God. Too proud openly to acknowledge himself in sympathy with the Galilean teacher, he had sought a secret interview. In this interview, Jesus had unfolded to him the plan of salvation and his mission to the world. Yet still, Nicodemus had hesitated. He hid the truth in his heart, and for three years there was little apparent fruit. But while Nicodemus had not publicly acknowledged Christ, he had in the Sanhedrin council repeatedly thwarted the schemes of the priests to destroy him. When at last Christ had been lifted up on the cross, Nicodemus remembered the words that he had spoken to him in the night interview on the Mount of Olives. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. John 3.14 And he saw in Jesus the world's Redeemer. With Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus had borne the expense of the burial of Jesus. The disciples had been afraid to show themselves openly as Christ's followers, but Nicodemus and Joseph had come boldly to their aid. The help of these rich and honored men was greatly needed in that hour of darkness. They had been able to do for their dead master what it would have been impossible for the poor disciples to do and their wealth and influence had protected them, in a great measure, from the malice of the priests and rulers. Now, when the Jews were trying to destroy the infant church, Nicodemus came forward in its defense. No longer cautious in questioning, he encouraged the faith of the disciples and used his wealth in helping to sustain the church at Jerusalem and in advancing the work of the gospel. Those who in other days had paid him reverence now scorned and persecuted him, and he became poor in this world's goods. Yet he faltered not in the defense of his faith. The persecution that came upon the church in Jerusalem resulted in giving a great impetus to the work of the gospel. Success had attended the ministry of the word in that place, and there was danger that the disciples would linger there too long, unmindful of the Savior's commission to go to all the world. Forgetting that strength to resist evil is best gained by aggressive service, they began to think that they had no work so important as that of shielding the church in Jerusalem from the attacks of the enemy. Instead of educating the new converts to carry the gospel to those who had not heard it, they were in danger of taking a course that would lead all to be satisfied with what had been accomplished. To scatter his representatives abroad, where they could work for others, God permitted persecution to come upon them. Driven from Jerusalem, the believers went everywhere preaching the word. Among those to whom the Savior had given the commission 
Go ye therefore, and teach all nations. Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, Were many from the humbler walks of life. Men and women who had learned to love their Lord, and who had determined to follow his example of unselfish service. To these lowly ones, as well as to the disciples who had been with the Savior during his earthly ministry, had been given a precious trust. They were to carry to the world the glad tidings of salvation through Christ. When they were scattered by persecution, they went forth filled with missionary zeal. They realized the responsibility of their mission. They knew that they held in their hands the bread of life for a famishing world, and they were constrained by the love of Christ to break this bread to all who were in need. The Lord wrought through them. Wherever they went, the sick were healed, and the poor had the gospel preached unto them. Philip, one of the seven deacons, was among those driven from Jerusalem. He went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies, and that were lame, were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Christ's message to the Samaritan woman with whom he had talked at Jacob's well had borne fruit. After listening to his words, the woman had gone to the men of the city, saying, Come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? They went with her, heard Jesus, and believed on him. Anxious to hear more, they begged him to remain. For two days he stayed with them, and many more believed because of his own word. John four twenty nine and 41 And when his disciples were driven from Jerusalem, some found in Samaria a safe asylum. The Samaritans welcomed these messengers of the gospel, and the Jewish converts gathered a precious harvest from among those who had once been their bitterest enemies. Philip's work in Samaria was marked with great success, and, thus encouraged, he sent to Jerusalem for help. The apostles now perceived more fully the meaning of the words of Christ Ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Acts 1.8 While Philip was still in Samaria, he was directed by a heavenly messenger to go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza. And he arose and went. He did not question the call, nor did he hesitate to obey, for he had learned the lesson of conformity to God's will. And, behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, 
was returning, and sitting in his chariot read Isaiah the prophet. This Ethiopian was a man of good standing and of wide influence. God saw that when converted, he would give others the light he had received, and would exert a strong influence in favor of the gospel. Angels of God were attending this seeker for light, and he was being drawn to the Savior. By the ministration of the Holy Spirit, the Lord brought him into touch with one who could lead him to the light. Philip was directed to go to the Ethiopian and explain to him the prophecy that he was reading. Go near, the Spirit said, and join thyself to this chariot. As Philip drew near, he asked the eunuch, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The scripture that he was reading was a prophecy of Isaiah relating to Christ. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. Of whom speaketh the prophet this? the eunuch asked. Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened to him the great truth of redemption. Beginning at the same scripture, he preached unto him Jesus. The man's heart thrilled with interest as the scriptures were explained to him, and when the disciple had finished, he was ready to accept the light given. He did not make his high worldly position an excuse for refusing the gospel. As they went on their way, they came unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. This Ethiopian represented a large class who need to be taught by such missionaries as Philip, men who will hear the voice of God and go where he sends them. There are many who are reading the scriptures who cannot understand their true import. All over the world, men and women are looking wistfully to heaven. Prayers and tears and inquiries go up from souls longing for light, for grace, for the Holy Spirit. Many are on the verge of the kingdom, waiting only to be gathered in. An angel guided Philip to the one who was seeking for light and who was ready to receive the gospel. And today, angels will guide the footsteps of those workers 
who will allow the Holy Spirit to sanctify their tongues and refine and ennoble their hearts. The angel sent to Philip could himself have done the work for the Ethiopian, but this is not God's way of working. It is his plan that men are to work for their fellow men. In the trust given to the first disciples, believers in every age have shared. Everyone who has received the gospel has been given sacred truth to impart to the world. God's faithful people have always been aggressive missionaries, consecrating their resources to the honor of His name and wisely using their talents in His service. The unselfish labor of Christians in the past should be to us an object lesson and an inspiration. The members of God's church are to be zealous of good works, separating from worldly ambition and walking in the footsteps of Him who went about doing good. With hearts filled with sympathy and compassion, they are to minister to those in need of help, bringing to sinners a knowledge of the Savior's love. Such work calls for laborious effort, but it brings a rich reward. Those who engage in it with sincerity of purpose will see souls won to the Savior, for the influence that attends the practical carrying out of the divine commission is irresistible. Not upon the ordained minister only rests the responsibility of going forth to fulfill this commission. Everyone who has received Christ is called to work for the salvation of his fellow men. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come. Revelation 22.17 The charge to give this invitation includes the entire church. Everyone who has heard the invitation is to echo the message from hill and valley saying, Come. It is fatal mistake to suppose that the work of soul-saving depends alone upon the ministry. The humble, consecrated believer upon whom the master of the vineyard places a burden for souls is to be given encouragement by the men upon whom the Lord has laid larger responsibilities. Those who stand as leaders in the church of God are to realize that the Savior's commission is given to all who believe in His name. God will send forth into His vineyard many who have not been dedicated to the ministry by the laying on of hands. Hundreds, yea, thousands who have heard the message of salvation are still idlers in the marketplace when they might be engaged in some line of active service. To these Christ is saying, Why stand ye here all the day idle? And he adds, Go ye also into the vineyard. Matthew 20, 6 and 7 Why is it that many more do not respond to the call? Is it because they think themselves excused in that they do not stand in the pulpit? Let them understand that there is a large work to be done outside the pulpit by thousands of consecrated lay members. Long has God waited for the spirit of service to take possession of the whole church so that everyone shall be working for him according to his ability. When the members of the church of God 
do their appointed work in the needy fields at home and abroad in fulfillment of the gospel commission, the whole world will soon be warned and the Lord Jesus will return to this earth with power and great glory. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Matthew twenty four fourteen. We heard the chapter, The Gospel in Samaria, pages 103 to 111, in the book entitled, The Acts of the Apostles, by Ellen G. White. Two quotations from that chapter are worth hearing again. On page 106. When they were scattered by persecution, they went forth filled with missionary zeal. They realized the responsibility of their mission. They knew that they held in their hands the bread of life for a famishing world, and they were constrained by the love of Christ to break this bread to all who were in need. And from pages 106 and 107, And when his disciples were driven from Jerusalem, some found in Samaria a safe asylum. The Samaritans welcomed these messengers of the gospel, and the Jewish converts gathered a precious harvest from among those who had once been their bitterest enemies. Here are a few points to ponder and questions to consider. As we've learned, the gospel breaks down barriers between people. At least, that is the ideal. The reality has at times been radically different. What is it about human beings, even among Christians, among those who understand that we are all the same before God, who understand that the cross is the great equalizer, that we allow cultural, social, and other barriers to divide us to the great extent that they still do? How can the Seventh-day Adventist Church, which is so universal, discourage such prejudices? As we have discovered, the persecution of the early church caused believers to flee, and as a result, the gospel started spreading in ways that it might not have done without persecution. Though God was able to bring good out of it, we must remember that religious persecution is never good, never right, never justified. What should our attitude be toward those who are facing religious persecution, even if we don't agree with their religious beliefs? Luke chapter 6 verse 31 advises, And as you would like and desire that men would do to you, do exactly so to them. ambassadorgroup.org Thanks for listening. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.
www.ethanfaith.org.